Welcome to the Legacy of John Williams podcast. I'm your host, Maurizio Caschetto, and this is a new episode of The Legacy Conversations. My guest today is acclaimed composer Marcus Paus. Marcus Paus is one of the most popular Norwegian composers of his generation. His catalogue includes chamber music, solo works, choral music, concerti and other orchestral works, including opera and also music for film. His works have been performed by leading performers and ensembles worldwide. Pose is one of the leading representatives towards tradition, tonality and melody, and his works have been loaded worldwide for their expressivity and virtuosity. This year, he worked on his first major film score for the fantasy adventure film Mortal, directed by Andre Ovidal. In this conversation, Marcus talks about his artistic journey, what led him to be a composer, and how much the music of John Williams has been, and continues to be, a major source of inspiration.
Thank you very much, Marcus, for being here today with me on the Legacy of John Williams podcast. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. You are one of the composers I was eager to talk with because I'm following your own uh, music and your own career since quite a few times, actually, we after we get acquainted with each other through you know the internet, since I know you're a longtime admirer and connoisseur of John Williams' music. I'd like to talk with you about you know your own music, your own career, your artistry, but also about your own viewpoints about uh, the music of John Williams, how much the music of John Williams inspired your own career. Let's start from the beginning. So you come from a musical family, so I guess your interest in music uh, started pretty early on. So how you ended up choosing a musical career and specifically being a contemporary classical composer. Well, like you said, I mean, I, I grew up in a musical household. Both my parents were musicians. Um, and I think perhaps for that reason, um, even though music was always around, it was always something the grown-ups did. Um, so, you know, my, my interest in music um, at that point, you know, it was really just something I, I took for granted. Music was always present somehow. And, and, and you know, and even more so in, in terms of my childhood, I mean, we're, we're of the same generation and growing up in the yeah. 1980s, you know, we would all have our childhoods pretty much underscored by John Williams. Yes. Um, so, you know, for me, John Williams was, was really my first love of sorts uh, and certainly my first orchestral love. Um, and I think, you know, just imbibing the music of those worlds, you know, it was something that would accompany my own playing. Yeah, when I was about, you know, I, I guess I would have been three or four years old. That was, you know, when I was introduced to Star Wars and, and, and um, you know, it, as a toddler, you know, looking at those films, you know, music is so integral to it that you don't really, I mean, at least I didn't recognize it as music. I just thought it was the ambiance. I just thought, you know, that was what space sounded like. So when I would, would you know, go on to play with my toys and so on, you know, I, I would, you know, I would hum music as part of that. And I think that was really my first musical experience, even though it wasn't a performing one. And then, um, you know, we had instruments at our house. We had pianos and, and synthesizers and guitars. And uh, I would play around with those. But I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really interested as a child in playing at all. I just wanted the sounds. And I liked to sort of sit at the piano and and dream away. And and uh, I, I, I guess I was asked to take some piano lessons or, or, you know, when I was about seven, thereabouts. And I really didn't like it that much. And and so I, so music was was kind of a... A background thing until I was about 11, 12, uh, and my hands were suddenly big enough to make sense of guitar. You know, I could, I could play guitar and I could actually do something, um, you know, musically worthwhile with it. And that really um, had a fascination, a great attraction for me. And so I, I became very obsessed with playing. And uh, so I spent the rest of my adolescence, um, I guess, exploring music through the the prism of a guitar okay. and very quickly I realized that the music that I wanted to write had very little to do with, with that instrument and <laughs> and and so I, I guess I kind of rediscovered a lot of the music that I'd, I'd grown up listening to and um, started writing music uh, quote unquote seriously when I was in my mid to late teens uh, and I was very lucky to um, be blessed with a really good composition teacher um, who um, recognized 
what I was interested in and, and wanted to help me, um, I guess, become able to write the music that I, I wanted to write. Um, and thankfully, he he was already kind of a John Williams fan, um, not in the the way that most people are. I mean, he he had no uh, real knowledge of the film scores, but he had he owned um, the old Neo, Stan Kenton Neophonic Orchestra album with the uh, Prelude and Fugue. Yeah. So you know, when I mentioned John Williams to him, well, he said, "Well, you know, John Williams is a genius. So let's you know, let's study this composer." Mm. Um, so you know, we would study John Williams and as well as Shostakovich and and and, and Maurice Ravel, and you know, so so he would he kind of instantly was part of the pantheon, and and I guess it's fair to say that he has remained there ever since. specifically the music uh, you, you made a distinction in your head about uh, the music of John Williams uh, uh, about being especially the the accompaniment of your favorite movies and how much instead was starting to become the object of your interest and your study I mean the music itself that happened I think kind of uh, a bit by the by I mean I I I guess I was consciously aware of John Williams only when I was in my teens. Mm. Um, and then, you know, it, it, I guess I, I had the revelation that a lot of people had. And I mean, this is all pre-internet. So, so you know, it, yes. it was a little bit more difficult back then. Um, but, it, 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 you know, it occurred to me that all of, the, all of my favorite soundtracks were written by one man. Um, and there was a quality to his music and, you know, that, 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 I think is what makes all of us John Williams fans. You know, there there is a life and and an orchestral integrity to what he does that that I think um, kept um, holding an attraction and 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 kept compelling me and and um, and you know as my own musicianship grew and as as my own interests in music deepened and and, and my knowledge you know, got a little bit better. I, I, I was able to recognize some of the, the technical aspects of what made that music work as beautifully as it does. Um, so, it, you know, I, I think I went from being just enthralled by the, the sheer um, awesomeness of that music to really becoming a, a, an ardent studier of that music uh, sometime in my late teens, probably. At that point, Uh, you were already studying music professionally, academically. Uh, so about your experience in, in that sense, uh, did you have any teacher who were like for you a sort of mentor figure or do you look for mentor figures more in, uh, you know, in your musical heroes like John Williams or Shostakovich or others? 
That's a great question. I I was very lucky. I I had uh, I mean my first composition teacher was that mentor to me, and um and thankfully we we had a lot of similar musical interests. I mean I think our ears sort of gravitated towards a lot of the same music, uh, but he was able to um you know it was a very fortunate thing because he was able to to kind of um, teach me about what it was that made that music. Um, work as well as it did, um, but he, of course, he uh, he was um, he was sort of unique in that his he had a very old-fashioned view on how to teach composition. So it was okay. you know it was really hardcore, just lots of counterpoint exercises, um, lo- doing lots of orchestrations. All of the I mean he he was old school, um, mm-hmm. and and that was great because he really he taught me not to fear the great tradition and you know maybe i should have feared it a lot a lot more than i did but but the way he presented our great craft was that it was like everything is within reach so you know if you want to study fugue well you know this is how you do it and look at bach and look at Shostakovich, and we would do that we would you know we would study the the the, the inventions and sinfonias and of course as Voltenprieta and and but then also Shostakovich opus 87 for the preludes and fugues it, it was Kind of a boot camp thing. It was. It, it, okay. I had to work a lot, um, but also it was all very playful. It was all, and it was all very um, intimate somehow. It, you know, it, it, it wasn't stuffy. It wasn't looking at this from a very um, like I. I don't want to say it wasn't scholastic because it certainly was, but it. But it was. It was academic, but with a very practical mm. point of view. Uh, but did you ever encounter some kind of resistance? Uh, in the academic world, uh, in that regard. So, so my my so, so my 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 first composition teacher was really a a, a mentor and a and a, a hero of mine, um, and I I kind of knew then that I wanted to write music that still dealt with tonality and that still had a, a melodic surface, and I still do. I mean, that's that is. That is the kind of composer that I that I am. I couldn't be in a, a, any other kind of composer. But I was I was really pushed towards becoming another type of composer. Uh, when I this would have been when I studied at at the Norwegian Academy of Music in Oslo in the late 1990s. Um, back then, uh, I mean, things have changed a lot. Things are very different now. But back then, uh, there was a very strong sense of of aesthetic code um, in academia. If you, if you wanted to write music, you know. Um, pursuing the kind of music that I wanted to pursue certainly wasn't possible, um, or certainly wasn't condoned. And 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 I think you know my teachers there were probably trying to be helpful. They you know they wanted to kind of save me from myself, so to speak. And 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 um, there, so there there was a lot of resistance uh, and a lot of, of um, let's say a less than enthusiastic response to what I was doing. Uh, but thankfully, you know, I, I, I never encountered that from the, from the musicians. So my colleagues, as it were, really became the other musicians and not so much the other composers. And the great thing about that was it allowed me to write for, for actual living, playing musicians from the get-go. And so I did that, and, and, and that was really the, the great training that I received at the Academy. I was, you know, I, I, I got to have a lot of music performed, and I got to learn the hard way, you know, what works and what doesn't work. Um, so that so that was good.
and how much your experience because you studied also at the Manhattan School of Music, right? Yes. Yes, and and how much the, the American school influenced you in that sense? Yeah, no, and and the reason why I I wanted to study there was I I wanted to study with Richard Daniel Poor, who's one of my favorite composers, and I was a fan of his before I became a student. Um, so you know, my favorite composers when I was say in my late teens, early twenties, you know, obviously John Williams, but also John Corleano and and Richard yeah. Daniel Poor and Christopher Rouse and so many great composers, and 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 so. And you know, there were, and there was some. There was one quality that that they all shared, and that was this tremendous sense of craftsmanship. There was there was just a, a great sense of orchestral technique. There was a great sense of of just being freely allowed to be expressive, or at least to be expressive in that way. Um, and so that attracted me. And and so I I went to study. Um, I think I I left for Manhattan School of Music in must have been two thousand three thereabouts. And did my master's there, and um, and really hit it off with with Richard Daniel Poor. He's a great composer, and but also a very 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 good teacher, and uh, and exactly the right kind of teacher for me. I mean, at that point, I was starting to have kind of the the inklings or the beginnings of a career here in Norway. I mean, I I, I was kind of making a living writing music. Uh, okay. So I, I I'd, I'd written quite a lot of music by that time. None of it very good, but I mean, I, I you know, I was I was, I was I was starting to 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 to, to get work, um, and what was great about Richard's um, teaching was he he went about it more like a producer. So I would bring I would bring musicians to the lessons, and we would have readings of my works at his studio, and you know he would just he would he would be completely invested in the score, but he would he would he would attack it from from the point of view of, of really producing a good performance. So you know when we when whenever we encountered um, a measure or a moment that didn't quite gel, um, he could immediately spot why it didn't work. And, you know, and he would give just the right um, advice in, ter in terms of, of, of mm. solving that problem. It was really, it was a phenomenal experience. And I was able to just imbibe in, in his enormous experience and, and, and his vast musicianship. And, 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 but it was all very practical. And I think that was... that. I, th I think music and certainly composition, it, it is a practical matter. It is something you only learn by doing. I mean, you can study it from the perspective of musicology and that's mm -hmm. important, but you also, I mean, but it's something that it's very sort of nuts and bolts. It's something that, you know, you have to get your hands dirty in order to really do it. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I think that probably the, the deal of experience that as you go on as a, as a composer trying different things and say, well, let's try this one today, and then maybe let's try this other thing tomorrow, and then you start to, you know, get different point of views, and and then suddenly you come up with a maybe a more rounded or solidified idea of what what you're going through. And in that sense, I, I'd like to ask you how it works for you. Do you have a, a routine, a compositional routine, in the sense that you write every day? I, I think the the honest answer is that it it, it varies, but it, I I do have a very um, it, it's not even a routine. It's 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 kind of a lifestyle. Um, mm. I write every day, and I I I have to in order to to at least attempt to make my deadlines. Um, but it's also you know at, at a certain point the work itself becomes kind of the entire purpose. I mean it, it's it's a way of life. It's something that you do just. Um, recreationally and because it adds meaning to your day somehow. Actually, 
over the past few months when you know when when all cultural life pretty much shut down i've sort of rediscovered a joy in writing that i i don't want to say i'd forgotten about it but you know i've i've been as you know since i'm my only my only source of income is writing so so the only okay. the only work that I do is commissioned and and you know and obviously you, you have to do a lot of work to be able to to, to sustain yourself um so you know i i i'd gotten very caught up in that i mean you know my life was really just deadline after deadline after deadline um and now you know having had a chance to breathe for for a good few weeks i kind of rediscovered just the joy of of writing you know not not for anything or for okay. anyone specific just 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 for the for the love of writing yes. uh, and that's been that's been i think instructive in 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 some way because it's it's you know i've 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 gotten to appreciate what it means to to write and 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 i've i'm i think i'm in a sense i'm i'm more grateful now than i have been for a while and you know because every, everything becomes kind of a workaday reality and and, yes. and you know and, um and so so just rediscovering that joy has been a tremendous experience for me and i i've actually written more music over the past couple of months than i've than i've ever written in a couple of months worth you know of, of time so it, it's been it's been really a a, a strange and very quiet but but also very productive and fertile time that's kind of a long and long answer to your question I, I, <laughs> no it's okay but i actually you, you answered very well i think because uh, in many ways i think there are some kind of uh, you know fixed idea about uh, what is inspiration what is the way the right way to to approach art uh because i think that we still live in we are still influenced uh by old conceptions of music uh, about you know what is inspiration what is what is integrity in art and so on but if you look at, for example at, at a musician a composer like you uh, it's not just like you're living into a bubble and you know just writing music out of nowhere but it starts with a process we start with something
in this sense, I would like to ask you uh, about your musical style because uh, I'm not able to find a simple definition for, for your style because you certainly have a tendency for a very expressive language, uh, rich in tonality, as you say, the melody. Um, so to, to the point that you have been defined as one of the representatives of this more traditional melodic driven style in contemporary music. So, however, you use a lot of modern techniques as well. So that's why I think it's hard to pinpoint your own voice. Uh, so do you try to define yourself or you simply write what you feel is good and right for yourself, independently of the style and, te and the technique? I think, you know, for better or worse, I, I, I write based on, on my preferences, based on who I am, based on everything that shaped me. Uh, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm certainly a product of, of, of my generation. I mean, I, so much of my music is probably, um, I mean, for, for better or worse, it's, it's, it's shaped by every, everything that I've, I've heard, everything that I've played, everything that's been part of my musical experience. Um, so I think there's, there's going to be a sense of eclecticism. Um, or if, and if there's not, then I think, you know, that there's, there's obviously the, the conscious choice of, of, you know, what not to reflect. I've, I think I've already gone through some various periods of, of, of development. Um, I, at this point, I think that, um, I hope I'm correct in saying that I, I probably write with a little bit more freedom now than I, I did. I I remember when I was in my twenties and I started getting a lot of commissions, I was very conscious about um, not emulating anyone, but I was conscious about, you know, trying, I mean, I, you kind of, you recognize that there is a competition. So, you, you know, you, you really, you really try to kind of make your mark. You try to, to, to write, you know, maybe I was, I was a bit more showy when I was in my twenties. I, I don't really feel so compelled to do that anymore. Um, but I will tell you that um, just this past couple of years I was I was working on a film score um my my I, I guess it's fair to say it's my first major film score mm -hmm. um for Andre Everdahl's Mortal which Mortal. was supposed to hit theaters worldwide um this year I don't know if, yeah. <laughs> what's gonna happen to that um <laughs> but uh he's a great filmmaker and he's a filmmaker of, of our generation so it means that even he's he's um uh, he is shaped by a lot of the same films that has musically shaped me um, and I actually, I had the experience, you know, when we first started scoring that picture, I, I, I recognized that there was, there were certain things I had in my system that I had to kind of get over. Um, you know, cause you, you, you know, all my life seemed to have been kind of a preparation for, you know, for some of these grand vistas, you know, and finally here's a film where I can apply all of this, you know, yeah. that I've always wanted to do. Yeah. And of course, none of those choices were right. All of it was, you know, they were they were they were absolutely wrong choices for the film, uh, but 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 we had we had lots of fun doing it.
and I, I actually I, I had to get that out of my system. And I think it, it's been similar uh, in my concert music. I mean, there are certain things I had to get out of my system. I, I think most of it's out of out of my system by now. I think I'm able to write. That's what I mean when I say I'm able to write more freely. Um, and I, I hope I've accumulated a bit more um, technique, you know, by doing all the other stuff. But I, I guess I'm I'm less competitive. I'm, I'm <laughs> I think I'm probably less showy than I used to be. Um, uh, but I, I'll tell you, I, I, I had a similar experience uh, while I was working on on that the, the, the film score. I was also commissioned to write a violin sonata. Mm. So on the one hand, you know, I, I wrote about maybe close to four hours worth of music for this film. I mean, most of it oh. unused, obviously, but I mean, it's but a sizable amount of music. Yeah, quite a lot. Um, yes. And at the same time, you know, I was supposed to write this 20-minute violin piano piece, and I got so stifled by not really the commission, but by I was, I was competing with myself because 10 years ago I wrote a cello sonata that's been played quite a bit, and it's a, it's a yeah. very... It's a very large-scale sonata. It's it's fairly um, monumental in its ambition, and and um, you know, and, I, and and certainly it's a piece that that reflects the, you know the kind of tradition that I'm I, I guess I'm trying to belong to, or that I mm -hmm. that I that I claim as mine. Uh, and and um, well, it's a beautiful piece for sure. Well, thank you, but it, but it's also a piece I I could not write that music today. It was it, it was <laughs> written in my late twenties. And I knew that the the people who commissioned the violin sonata probably wanted a sort of, um, well, a, a, a cello sonata, you know, version two, but just okay. for violin and piano. And I couldn't do it. I really couldn't. And I I tried and I tried and I got quite far along, but I just realized that I was writing a B version of another piece of mine. And I I, I didn't mm. want to do it. And ne only now, over the past few weeks, have I found yet another way to approach it. And it's it's very, very different. It's a much, it is not a, it's not, I don't think it's, it's probably not nearly as impressive, but it is more personal, I think. And it's, it is, it is, um, it doesn't sound like, um, I mean, I, you know, you could probably argue that there are hints of Shostakovich and the cello sonata, or maybe more than hints. I don't think that's true with this piece. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad. It, it could be a bad thing, but it feels somehow a bit more relaxed and, and I hope it's a good thing. It's a process of discovery. I mean, uh, like every every art, it's 
you know, one day is one thing and then the day after you discover something new and that leads you in into another direction. It's not, as I was saying before, it's not a fixed path. It's, it's not uh, something very strict unless you want to, you know, to restrict yourself by, I don't know, by discipline or something else or some goal you want to achieve. I mean, and but otherwise it's a complete freedom and process of discovery by staying, of course, true to the, to the commission and to, to what, you, what you want to express. No, but you're exactly right. And I think, I think that's such a beautiful word, discovery, because that's really, that's really what it's all about. And, and that's always what you want to have when you're writing. I mean, you want to have that moment of discovering something that's new to you. That's something that kind of, you know, that, that sets you down a different path. Um, and you know, obviously the, the longer you work, you know, the, the harder that is to do somehow. But I, I think, I think it's important to just, again, just for me having had just this chance to reflect on, on the gratitude, you know, for, for, for being able to sit here safely over, you know, now almost three months writing music, no commissions, no deadlines, no nothing. Everything's closed down. So it's it's just you and your musical conscience. It's been very liberating. And I and I think I've been able to find something fresh in that. And I think, you know, that's what we that's what we always search for and hope to find. You know, and I think that's really what it like you said, that's it is what it, what it's about, you know, discovering something and and being, you know, intrigued and piqued by that. And and speaking about your orchestral music, uh, I especially like the the fact that it's very rich and colorful. And I'm thinking about uh, the the flute concertino, the portrait of a zoo, or even the the song cycle you wrote uh, based on uh, Dorothy Parker poetry. But I'm thinking especially about the timpani concerto, because in in all these work I hear lots of joy and and sheer enthusiasm. And you express this in a very lyrical way, uh, and that is the quality that distinguish those works for me, uh, and also the way you put a lot of, you know, virtuosic uh, parts for for the single instruments. Uh, but however, I also feel that there is a strong sense of storytelling in, in in the way you approach music, and so I'd like to to touch this with you. So, do you always search for? A storytelling approach in music? I that's a very good question. I think I probably do somehow. Um, I mean, I've written a lot of music based either on text, I mean poetry, or you know, I I, I will um, choose as my subject maybe a painter. Um, yeah. So I mean, I I love immersing myself in in someone else's world, um, and I guess I. I don't know. I've 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 always liked that. I I've I've and I think that I'm probably it's it's probably easier for me to write that way. I mean, I've when if I if it's purely abstract, I can do it if I'm writing for someone specific. I mean, I, I, you know, if I if I can and, and I think when I was writing, you know, uh, the the song cycle hate songs for you know, the, the the Dorothy Parker cabaret thing, um, certainly it was inspired by Dorothy Parker, but it was also inspired by Tura Augusta, the singer that I wrote it for. Um, so so it's there, there's kind of a, a um a double inspiration there somehow. But yeah. I no, but I think I think you're right. I think it's true that that I, I, I am I'm certainly attracted to that. I certainly like to to um choose as my basis something outside of myself that I can musically respond to. And and I, I guess that I, I, if that makes me 
less of a musical thinker, then so be it. <laughs> no, I, I didn't mean it that way, actually, because uh, I was listening to the timpani concerto the other day to, to prepare for the interview. Again, I, I already knew that work, but uh, getting reacquainted myself with, uh, with the work, I noticed much more than the first times I, I listened to it, uh, really a, a kind of a storyline into it, but it, it, maybe it's something in my own head, you know, and that's the beauty of music, that music can inspire many different things to, to each one of us and each one of us has his own or her own story to build upon that music and it could be even something completely abstract you know not just the standard story and I don't hear music like I'm hearing an accompaniment uh, to, to a movie for example but uh, I hear the way you treat instruments the way you treat the orchestra the way you treat the soloist with the other uh, section of the orchestra like uh, as you are telling a story in some way Probably another reason for it, and that is that that so much of the music that shaped me early on was film music, mm-hmm. and certainly the music of John Williams. And, and, and so I think that's that has that probably has something to do with it. Um, and you know, and it might just be that my nature is designed to be attracted to that, and that's something I will just go after because I, you know, I I, I don't know. I, I I think I mean storytelling when I was when I was a way before music i mean when i was very very young that that was kind of what i did i i would make up stories for my friends so i mean i i i i enjoy being put in that position i like um i guess i i like hosting an experience um <laughs> yeah. that um so I, yeah so I, I think that's i think that's i think that's probably true i mean i i haven't really thought about it mm-hmm. i've never really but but i think i think i think you're right um and I, like I said, it's it's something that I that I'm certainly noticing. You know, I, it's easier for me to find my way into a piece, into writing it, mm-hmm. if I have some sort of pretext, some sort of um, extra musical idea. Yeah, and do you make a distinction when you write, for example, a, 
an orchestral piece versus a chamber uh, piece of music, you know, because there is this tendency to think, and probably is a is a kind of a you know a prejudice that chamber music is like private music of the composer, while while you know the the, the big symphonic works are instead you know something more of a you know a less personal nature. Is it that for you or? Um, I don't think so. Um, I think it. I think that could that that might have been the case, um, especially the first few orchestral pieces that I wrote. But I think to me, all of the the really great symphonic music is often chamber musical, um, and 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 has this sense of of being confessional almost. I mean, I think there's something, you know, even though obviously there are, there are public aspects or, or, or extrovert aspects, you know, of the symphonies of Mahler or Shostakovich, they're, they're also deeply intimate. And I think, you know, some of their finest moments are these very small, miniaturistic, chamber-like um, moments. And I, I also, I mean, I, I've noticed that, that, you know, when I'm writing orchestral music, I'm very often drawn to those moments. I, I like reducing the orchestra. I mean, I, I like... I like getting big sounds out of an orchestra, but I, I, I enjoy that for certain moments. And I, but I, I think, you know, I, I do write a lot of solos or a lot of, 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 you know, moments like that. And I think, so perhaps I'm trying to blur the lines a little bit. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying, and I, I think also some of the textures in my chamber music might at times try to attempt, you know, sounding bigger than they are um so i i, I don't know I, I don't it doesn't feel like too much of a distinction uh but there of course there is the other distinction is that you know when, when you are writing for an orchestra generally there's not going to be a lot of rehearsal time so mm-hmm. there are, there are of course the practical matters you, yeah. you have to kind of take into consideration what will you be able to or what will they be able to to you know have speak um, over the course of, of three or four rehearsals. So whereas, you know, when you're working with a, a, a chamber group, um, you know, you, you, you get to explore that music over time quite often, at least more often than you would in an orchestral sense.
I'd like to, to return a little bit to, to John Williams because um, since I know you're, you're a really profound admirer of his music, uh, I'd like to, to ask you what are the elements of John Williams's music that speaks to you the most? I mean, both musically as a composer and personally as, a, as an artist, as a human being. It's a great, very, very good question. I think that if I were to reduce it to just one answer, at least from, from my point of view now, I would say it's, it's the humanity of it. If you'd asked me, you know, at 18, I would have said certainly the technique of it. Um, and, and that's still there, but no, but more than anything else, it's the humanity of it. And what are for you the, the the main differences between the film side of John Williams? And I'm asking you this because I you are working in different fields. You know, you also write film music, and and so I think that you know what I mean when I'm sing, telling this. And so, what are the main differences between the film side of John Williams and his concert work side, if there are any, actually? So, do you think that these are two very separate words, or? Are they simply different types of expression of the, of the same, of the same composer? I see them as one and the same. Um, you know, they're you know, it's it's music. I mean, it's written for for different circumstances, but it's it's you know, it's all that music shares the same heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so so to me, it's it's really remarkably the same. And I I think maybe even maybe that's something that might even. It, it, that might have developed in his writing. I think that if you listen to um, what he wrote for film in the 70s and what he wrote for, for the concert hall, um, it maybe it was a little bit 
different in the 80s. But I, th I think that especially in the, you know, as of the 90s, I think that what he would write in the film score and 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 what he writes in his concert works, I, th I mean, it's 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 the same music. It's it's the timings are different. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think I think you know it's it's remarkably similar actually, and I, I think there is a great sense of just you know it's the same voice, it's the same author, and I think that 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 sense of authorship also is what what I find so deeply impressive and and beautiful about his writing. I mean, there's there's this tremendous presence, and and and, and you know it's interesting because for someone who seems like such a mild you know, mannered, very, very um, um, self, even self-facing musician. I mean, there's just, there's just this tremendous presence of mind and of thought, and and like I said, of humanity. Um, there's, I, I think, uh, his music a great sense of empathy, and I think that 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 is something that's reflected um, in several ways. It's reflected certainly in the way he um, he underscores drama, the way he perceives the scene. Uh, I think there's 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 always a great sense of empathy, um, but also in the way he writes for musicians, his, the way he approaches instruments, uh, the way he orchestrates is also, you know, it's full of empathy.
I think it was uh, Yo-Yo Ma who said in an interview not too long ago, uh, because he was asked maybe a similar question, uh, and he said, but, you know, John Williams always writes for people. It doesn't matter if it's concert music or it's film music, he writes for people. He could be, you know, Steven Spielberg, it could be Yo-Yo Ma, it could be, you know, in his mind, the distinction is the people. Of course, the medium is important. It's different to write accompaniment music for, for, a, for a film versus then writing a full-blown symphonic piece with its own structure and development and so on. But for John Williams, I think that the main difference, and I agree with your mind in the sense that it's the people, you know, and even his concert music that probably explores a more personal side of his own artistic persona, it's always written for a specific uh, person in mind. And that's the same also for film music because you find a lot of works that includes beautiful solo passages or beautiful uh, section. And he writes knowing that a certain person will play that part in the orchestra, even if it's just film music. Yeah, and, and he also knows that, you know, in, in so doing, you know, he imbues the scene with m even more artistry because there's, there's something about, you know, there's a tendency in the film world, I think, to just see music as one generality. But that's not true. I mean, you know, the, the, the quality of musical performance affects the film. Um, you know, you can, you can add tenderness to a scene, not only by the choice of music, but, but by the performance of it. And I think that there's a nuance to that that I think is um, a very precious thing. What is beautiful is that that is probably something really uh, unheard of, because especially the general audience, when it goes to see a movie, isn't aware of that specific, uh, unless you're a musician you're, you, and you notice, you know, the, the beauty of a certain performance by the flute or the oboe or the horn or, or, or the string section and so on. But the general audience who doesn't maybe know anything about music feels that thing. And the beauty of the performance is, a, is brings that added value that is something that is dearly absent in most of the music nowadays. No, I, I would agree. And I, I think I think it's it's really it's, you know, it, it's the pinnacle of its art form.
John Williams has been often criticized by so-called purists or the academics uh, just to be a compiler or even worse, a plagiarist because of the clear references to the classical repertoire in his film music. Uh, but, uh, however, his more popular works were able to get a, a huge amount of people excited about orchestral music and symphonic music. So, given your position as a composer with a, who probably received a similar criticism <laughs> during his own career, what are the, the milestones that John Williams achieved with his music in this sense? How much important was the success of you know, of the, of the Star Wars and the Indiana Jones and the Superman to get people into orchestral music and say, hey, I want to do this too, you know? I, I think, I think you know, it, it will require another couple of generations to really assess that. I think that the his contribution, not only to film, but to our entire musical culture is so vast that you would have to go pretty far back in history to find someone who's done anything even remotely similar. Um, and I mean, of course, this is pure speculation, but um, I think it was Schoenberg who, you know, who once said that, you know, in, in the future, you know, the children of the future will, will whistle 12-tone rows. <laughs> and uh, while, you know, while they may not be 12-tone rows, or so, I mean, we have generations upon generations of children and now adults who will hum the the imperial march or the harry potter theme and if, even though they're not entirely serial they're at least 12 note themes so you know you, you, you there's a there's a sophistication to what he does that somehow been able i mean he's a, he's been able to bypass all of the, these filters that usually keep us from appreciating more more advanced music uh, so I think I think he's opened a lot of ears. I think he is. I mean, I don't know any contemporary composer, at least not contemporary composer of orchestral music, who hasn't been influenced by John Williams. I think our entire modern conception of what an orchestra is really comes from Williams. I think I, I think he's he, as appreciated as, as he is. He is still somehow the most underappreciated person <laughs> we have.
try to think back in 1977, do you think he was consciously doing a pastiche? Let's use this word, even if I don't like it, but just for the sake of comprehension. But do you think he was consciously doing pastiche work when writing the first Star Wars film, for example? Or were those references uh, something that he took already for something deeper, you know, because he maybe unconsciously recognized something in, in the movie, in the story, in the characters that really harken back to a very specific musical past? Yeah, well, I, I, I think, I mean, I, I don't know in what extent, I mean, I don't know, even even if conscious, I don't know if, if you could ever really be completely, you know, mentally aware of, of, of the effect of it. I think that whereas, you know, the first Star Wars score, obviously, I mean, it, it, it was built on existing models. I mean, you, you could tell that there was a strategy to it. Yes. Um, and I and, and I think in, in many ways it's perhaps, you know, I, I don't want to say the least original Star Wars scores because it certainly is very original. But I mean, it was it was kind of um, it was kind of um, it wasn't entirely in charted territories. I think I think that from The Empire Strikes Back and on, I think I think he made that world entirely his. Yes. Um, I mean, I'm I've often thought of Williams as you know, kind of kind of a musical mythologist in a sense. I mean, I think he, I think there is something, he has his ability to access our core musical myths. And I think that's really, that's, that's just such a remarkable strength. And I mean, and very few composers have ever had it. Um, I'm trying to think who could have. I, I, I really, I, that might be solely his property. That, that yes. might be his one gigantic, contribution to us i mean he's 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 helped us see and discover our entire music somehow i think i think he's he's he, he you know in many ways i think he, he's been the gateway drug for a lot of people i mean he he's he's your way into something else but also i think he transcends that um and um Again, you, stop me if I'm random. No. And I, it's, 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 it's difficult. To, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I, I cannot speak of this without speaking very sort of con amore. So it's, it's yeah. going to be, I'm, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to. No, no, I, I like to, to let you express actually, because uh, as I said before, you, you touch on so many interesting points. And one of these is if we look at the history of film music, especially Hollywood films, it has been an incredible, uh, let's say, catalyst for composers who still wanted to write tonal melodic music and found in film suddenly the ideal vehicle to express those feelings and those needs. Or perhaps it was the other way around, you know. I mean, the film industry was suddenly in need of people who had to uh, write in a certain style, in a certain um, methodology. and found this group of incredibly talented composers coming from Europe all of a sudden because of the war, because of uh, the ad tragic advent of Hitler in, in Europe, and suddenly reviving an, a style that was largely considered dead and buried by many, or there was this very strong uh, attitude from, from a certain generation of composers like Schoenberg and Straminsky that say, no, let's do something completely new and different enough with the past, you know, let's go forward. So uh, Williams seemed to be the direct continuation of, of that lineage. So yes, yes. No, but it is a direct continuation. And I think in many ways, you, you know, you could make the argument that 
that the whole Hollywood tradition is really an exiled romanticism. It's it it, it gave asylum to so many of the talents and, and so much of the of the uh, essentially 19th century European musical culture. And in so doing, um, became an integral part of American culture and again, an integral part of, I guess now, for, you know, in many sense, sense or, or, or in, I think there's a case to be made that um, film music, at least our modern concept of what film music is, is our first common practice since maybe the the, the 18th century um, or mid 19th century, mm -hmm. so you know it, it's and I think what's great is that it's it's a musical world that encompasses all other musical worlds, and it's uh, of course it, it does so through the prism of of seeing them as as extra musical or you know it, it focuses on what what this music does to us emotionally, um, but I think it's also been a phenomenal technical laboratory i mean it's it's been a place of great discoveries it's been a place of, of great achievements um like i said i i, I don't think you, you can conceive of modern orchestral writing without it i mean it, it's it's the foundation of so many things and so much music that's very far removed from it um yet it also also seems to kind of invite all of that back to it i mean and, and i think that's been one of the one of the miracles of, of the Hollywood tradition. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of a gift that keeps on giving, or at least it has been. I think John Williams is the epitome of that. It, it will be hard in the future to, to to compare and to achieve the same level of you know sophistication and technique and integrity and uh, and just sincere heart to, to what he puts in music. So, uh, in this sense, what do you think will be the legacy of John Williams for you, uh, both personally and generally as a composer? Well, I mean, for me, you know, his music is has been and continues to be one of the great loves of my life. It, it's an, a source of endless inspiration and and instruction. It, it's something I, you know, I, I it's something I will find um, motivation and 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 you know, it's to me, it's 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 like you know, the music of 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 any other the the truly great great musicians of our culture um i think that 
for at least a few generations to come, he's going to be seen as what you said. He is kind of that intermediary figure. He's someone who who is, you know, where the past meets the present somehow. And, and you know, he is part of a cult culture that we we don't really have it, but we're, we can access it through people like him. I mean, we're I think we're now in kind of a post-cultural reality. And he is still somehow uh, a figure of, of, of a time where we had that culture. Um, and I'm sure that he would probably maybe even see himself as too young for it. And, and he, you know, he will look at his forebears as, as, as the really great ones. Um, I think that's, that's kind of a generational thing. You, you know, it's like every, everyone's mother always, you know, saying that their mother was, was a better cook. I mean, you, you know, <laughs> you, you know, every grandmother yeah. and, and, and I don't mean that in a sexist way. I'm just I'm referring <laughs> to my own family. I don't think there ever will be another composer like him, but I think that what he's gifted us with is such a vast legacy um, that I think it, it will continue to instruct and it will continue to inspire anyone who who wishes to to consult his scores. And I think, I mean, and 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 people will because I mean, his, this is music that's completely culturally ingrained at this point. I mean, it's. it's it's such a big part of who we are. Yeah. And and do you think uh, his concert in Vienna last January was a coronation of something or or was it just, you know, the realization of that, okay, it was about time. Do you see that is, is for him a point of arrival or is it just, you know, okay, is, you know, is the established classical world that finally accepted him and, you know, brought him, you know, to conduct the, the most prestigious orchestra in the world, let's say that. Well, I, I, I think at this point, he probably didn't need that arrival so much. I mean, I, th I think that uh, it was probably a matter of, of, or at least it should have been a great a matter of greater importance for the Vienna Philharmonic than for him. But I think certainly it is being welcomed at the temple. I mean, because it, it, the, the, as a music fine, that's, that's really, that is the temple. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I was there for both the concerts and, and it was just wonderful to see all of the love in that room, you know, and, and, and just the enthusiasm and, and, and joy from the orchestra and from the audience. I mean, and, and I mean, you don't really see that at any concert ever. I mean, it, it's really, and I, I think that's kind of a moment, maybe even of, of some healing, not just for, for, for those who love film music or those who love John Williams, but I think for, for anyone who ever wondered if orchestral music can be culturally relevant. You know, it was it was just you know you'd ha you you would have your answer just by being present. I got a quote in, uh, uh, on Wikipedia that, that says that in 2007, you said you described yourself as a cultural conservative non-modernist. 
mind you, that, that that was that was never a political statement. It was it was purely it was purely a, a, a musical. Sure, sure. sure um, yeah, yeah. I, I meant it in the musical way, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just to clarify. But, but is this something you know keeping tradition alive? Is this something hard for the contemporary composer still? I mean, do we still live in that era influenced by the imperative of modernism and originality and I don't was I wouldn't say avant-garde because it sounds like an old word now, but <laughs> it is know. an old world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, are we still in that environment, musically speaking, contemporary classical music, or no? I don't think so. But I, I think we still have a generation of people who who may think we are. Um, but I, I think looking at younger composers, I mean, I think it's fair to say that if anything, I mean, we're either past that or we're we're I mean, either we're, we've evolved to be, um, you know, all-encompassing or we're just plainly post-cultural. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know which is <laughs> which would be worse, but I, I think that certainly um, I, mean, I am and, and other composers of, of you know, of, of similar inclinations are, you know, we're, we're, we're welcomed in a way that we weren't 20 years ago. Um, and I think... You know, you you cannot talk about contemporary classical music, for instance, now without also including composers who work within, or at least work with tonality or work with yeah. melody. I think you know it's it's no longer. I, th I don't think you can make a distinction in terms of of modern or and not not so modern in terms of of, of that material. I think that you know you have people like like um, Christopher Sarone, for instance, uh, who's a very very um, modern, um, even fairly experimental at times composer, but he works in, almost entirely within a very confined, very limited tonality. Um, so it's it's all deeply tonal and even kind of fixed tonal, but it's it's still, but he's showing us that we can do very fresh things with very old material. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not really about even about the material being old, it's just about, about the material being something shared, something that's, a, it's a common thing to the human experience. And I think tonality and atonality and of all different sorts, at this point, they're, they're just part of our musical culture. It's, it's all part of, of what we have to work with. And, um, and I think, you know, it's maybe not, so, I think that our concept of what's new is, is, is a very old fashioned one. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe, you know, maybe it's not so much about being new, but about being you.
going back to to film music specifically do you still do you think there is still room for expression of you know purely orchestral music in movies nowadays or is it is it much more difficult than it was maybe until let's say 12 15 20 years ago than it is today well i think it, it right now it is a bit more difficult but i think there is still room for it uh it uh, you have to find the right director um but i also think it's going to change again it's changed before i mean and yeah. um there will come a time where we will miss high quality orchestral writing in film um and there will come composers to make us rediscover the joy of it so and you know and and maybe they'll maybe they will make us rediscover it in ways that we that we have not yet known um i think that you know i mean any composer who've ever worked on a film project uh will somehow lament the fact that that you know you're not necessarily working with musically educated people um i think the saddest thing about it is you know as a composer you're not always taken full advantage of i mean there there are certain things you can do for a film that other people in the industry don't know that you can do for them um in terms of just the pacing of a scene the way you can tie a film together there's you, a composer can be so integral to a film but usually we're not asked to i mean we're asked to come in and do like a very last minute rewrite or something i mean very mm -hmm. very seldom are we invited to shape a film right from the get go and i think that's unfortunate but i also think it's unfortunate that there aren't more concert composers working in film uh and i don't know why that is i think i'm assuming it's the industry's fault for not inviting them right. uh but i think there is so much more potential there mm. but do you think also that it's becoming harder because of uh, mainly the way the films are put together i mean I, I talk with other people working in the film industry and say that there is really not too much time to to get things done actually so then that's why you have to resort to certain you know modalities and techniques to in that way it's easier to change things up until the last minute so it's much harder to to put a a, a complete structure and develop piece of music against the film when there is the risk that this piece won't fit the scene anymore just after you know a few days you wrote it <laughs> oh yeah, well i i've i've dealt with that i mean and and i mean <laughs> digital editing is you know it, it's it's going to give us all high blood pressure i mean it's 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 really it's really a terrible thing to um to maneuver when you when you're writing music i mean i've i like i said i've i've i scored a film last year um and i ended up writing about four hours worth of music for a film that's an hour and 40 minutes uh largely of course because you know you, you're editing and editing and editing and editing and 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 so there's there's no such thing as locked film anymore at least i mean uh, don't trust it if they say it's locked i mean it, the picture isn't locked until it's in the theater and even maybe <laughs> not even then so you know it's it's that's certainly difficult um and but it's you know it's difficult but it's still something i think it, you know it's it's worth i don't want to say it's worth fighting but it's it's worth s sticking with and it. it's it's worth trying to yeah. to be you know and and um i mean for me i i still work with pen and paper uh mm -hmm. so i'm i'm a non-digital composer and and working with a, a huge digital production it, it's it's hard 
but it, but it was manageable. And I, I only have one assistant who deals with all, all the electronic stuff. Um, and so, you know, we were able to, to, to do it. Um, it's, it, it's, it's going to break your neck doing it, but you're, but you know, it, it is possible. And I think it's worth doing. Um, I also hope, like I said, I hope that filmmakers of the future will kind of reassess what a composer can do for them. Uh, yeah. and you will meet film. I mean, I was very lucky working with Andrea Bernal, who's a very, very musical and very musically interested director and very not very knowledgeable about film music. The other thing is, it's a, it's a very communal thing, and and I I think once you realize that, and when when you realize that you know even though there are a lot lots of edits and and it might mean that something you you'd spent so much time writing and something yeah. you you were proud of having written and and you know that that's no longer gonna work, um, you still kind of realize that it's it's typically for the better. I mean, typically you see the film becoming a better and better film. As that process. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and there's always a soundtrack album. So there's, there's, <laughs> at least in, in my world, there's still the soundtrack album. I, and, and yes. uh, so I'm, I'm, I think we, on the album that we did for Mortal, I think about half of the album is music no longer in the film. It's a pretty long album because I was listening to it the other days. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's close to 80 minutes of music yeah. on that album. Um, yes. And still, and still there's, there's so much more music that we left out. Lift off it, but um, you know, um, it's just it it just it's it's par for the course. It's 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 what to be expected. Uh, and you know, you, you I, I'd heard, I'd always re read about all these horrible editing tragedies. Um, and and but it's it's actually surprisingly easy to deal with when you're in it. Um, you know, you're you're it's it's part of the war zone. Yes, you have to deal it as a professional. You know, it's part of the job. You know, you. I, I think it was John Williams himself who said, when asked a similar question about how did he feel about writing so much music and then 
music ended up being you know, cut from the movie and say, well, it's film is a collaborative art. It's like a director shooting, you know, two miles of, of film, and then he ended up using just a few inches, you know, for a scene because it feels like sitting that way. And um, do you think the composer should also be a filmmaker in some ways, or not? <laughs> That's a very good question. I, I think it. I think it helps to be at least interested in film as an art form. Uh, although, I mean, apparently, I mean, John Williams has said that he doesn't necessarily, he's, he's not a moviegoer, um, but again, he doesn't have to be. Um, no, but I, I think it helps. Uh, it helps also because it helps you understand where the director is coming from sometimes, and, and, and where everyone else is coming from. Um, so I, I feel I've learned a lot, you know, just listening to other practitioners of, of different crafts and, you know, how they perceive the film and how they perceive their work and what they're, what, what they're going for, because it, you know, it makes me, um, somehow a bit better equipped to, to do my job. Um, so, it, and also it, it, you know, it makes the process a little easier to endure. Uh, if you think about it, that the a film composer, especially a seasoned film composer like like Williams or all the other greats who maybe worked on many movies in the same year, you know, where they were extremely prolific, extremely productive, writing so much beautiful music in s such a short amount of time, and they ended up maybe working with a young director suddenly who maybe has. Uh, did just one or two movies previously, and together with a, a composer who already worked on 50 movies. So probably the composer is more knowledgeable about movies than the director himself. No, absolutely. But I also think, you know, as, a, as composers, I mean, we're, there are certain things we're quite good at. We're quite good at coloring time. I mean, we're, we're good at, at, at making something have a rhythm. We, we're, we're good at giving shape to time. Uh, and I think I think composers can be helpful in terms of, of I think a lot of the often you know when you see different cuts of a film and, and, and as they're assembling it, um, you know they will filmmakers will feel that that the rhythm is off, and they will think that they can do kind of kind of trim that just in the editing. And sometimes you can you can do that much better in music. Uh, and I, so I think I think what what I if there's anything I, I wish there would be more of in film. I guess the one thing would be more trust, uh, and I think that's the that's the, the really difficult thing now is that with with most composers at least, I mean, you're you're expected to audition every single cue you're right. Yeah. It takes a lot of time, and it it doesn't feel very healthy. Uh, I real I understand why it's done, um, and I think you know ultimately it's a question of, of saving money. I mean, they don't they don't want to end up in the scoring room with something they can't use. Yeah. But on the other hand, I you know I I I really I'd really relish for there to be more trust for composers, and I th I yeah. think you'd you'd get more interesting films with better music for it. And so, uh, did you have to deal with a with a temp track in the case of Mortal, or or not? Uh, no, I I I did, but I th I think what was what was again what was great working with Andre is that he is so knowledgeable about film music that he also knows that he knows what a temp track does. And what it is and what it isn't. Um, so there wasn't too much temp love at all. I think, mm -hmm. and I think you know some of our early discussions really were about the temp track and where we didn't or why we didn't feel that it really worked. It was a, it was it's kind of a difficult. It was a difficult movie to temp. It was a difficult movie to um, musically unify. Um, and 
I mean, there will be other moments where we, we, I'm sure I'll be asked to do something closer to the temp track. Um, yeah. I'm I'm not a I'm not a fan of temp tracks, and and I don't think any composer ever was <laughs> or ever will be. But um, let's say let's say sometimes it is useful. It's useful to to save time, perhaps sometimes. <laughs> yes, yes, that's what it's there for, and and. Um, that that's I think that pr pretty much sums it up. But do you do you want to to do you want to try to to get more um, to, to work more in, in films or or do you do you like? This? Oh, absolutely! I hope I, I I certainly hope to. I mean, I think ideally for me, I, what I'd love is a kind of a fifty fifty world. I mean, where I could do. Um, and I mean, if and I mean another aspect of it would be that it would maybe entail me spending time pursuing maybe not quite so many commissions but but more just the, the pieces that i wanted to write um because that's something that that i really got a kick out of doing over the over these past months just you know rediscovering the joy of of things that no one asked me to write but that just presented themselves and um seemed worthwhile ways of spending my time What do you think is the role of music now in these strange and difficult times we are living through now? Uh, I mean, especially considering that, uh, you know, concert halls are closed, we cannot gather together to, to experience music 
with an audience. Um, but there, there is a really uh, a need for, for, for shared experiences in, in music. So what do you think is the role of, of music and of the, of the composers in this uh, specific time of history that we are living through now? Well, music is communal, so I, th I think it's here to, to 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 tie us together. It's it's here to 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 um, give us solace and 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 comfort and joy. And it's I think you know, we're already seeing that musicians are finding new platforms, and you know, so far many of them have felt like you know, substitutions. But I think as we go along, I think that probably we'll maybe we'll discover new art forms or, you know, new types of music drama, for instance. I mean, maybe, maybe like, like, you know, streaming operas might become a thing. Um, so I, I, I think going back to the, the word that you used earlier, I think, I think it might, I hope it's going to be a time of discovery. I think it's, I, I think we're going to be resourceful. And I, I think, you know, of course, also at a certain point, we're, we're going to get past this. Um, but it will be interesting to see if, if maybe we haven't made some interesting discoveries that, that we can take with us on the other side of this. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there will be something beautiful at the end of this. I, I'm, I'm an optimistic person, so I always like to, to see the, the, you know, the let's say the silver lining in a way. Uh, but I think that we, are, we, are, we could be in for... For something beautiful at the end of this, when when with this will be all over, and let's hope it will be soon, of course. But I think that probably what we learned in this past few months, everyone who has you know a love for music or love for arts in general, is how much important they are for our daily lives. It's not just you know a fancy night out because we are you know grouping together and then we are all together going to dinner, but it's something much deeper. Yes, um, I think you're exactly right, and I, I I think you know sometimes it it takes a crisis to really appreciate what yeah. at least what what, what will be denied. Um, and I I I, th I think it's I I I I join you in in taking an optimistic view. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for, the, for the time that you, you spent here. Uh, I hope to have you again here as my guest in the future. I would love to. And thank you so much, Marisa, for having me. I hope that we'll hear from you soon, especially new works and new music from you. Thank you. Thank you. Keep staying safe. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Thanks to Marcus Paus for his time and generosity. Visit his website, marcuspaus.com for more information about his music and his career. From your host, Maurizio Caschetto, thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon on the Legacy of John Williams podcast.